intro track. Since when? <laughs> oh, thanks for listening for the last 40 episodes. <laughs> oh, you didn't have it on the one that I listened to, yeah. No, maybe not. Hey guys, it's Joey here. <laughs> Welcome to the Juggle Bells podcast. We got um, Uber professional and uh, close friend of the Jungle Brothers, Jared Thatcher in the house. Yeah, big fan of the podcast. Thanks, <laughs> thanks for having me on. <laughs> Legend. Um, Jared works here. Jared is our in-house ART practitioner. Jazz, can you give the people background? What's ART? What do you do? Uh, active release technique is a specific soft tissue work modality. So basically it's a lot more specific than remedial massage and stuff like that. So for the whole body, it might have 500 specific protocols and do nerve entrapments and stuff like that as well. Um, it's just kind of the most holistic hands-on treatment that I've found, but uh, also do dry needling and remedial massage. Um, yeah, that's basically my qualifications and was a PT uh, in another life before that. So, And so to look like really simplify that for folks, it's you are, people come in, they have mechanical issues, generally like I got a sore shoulder. Yeah. You assess them, you put your hands on them, you do these like these release techniques. Yeah. Digging into things. It's it's a little bit uncomfortable, sometimes a little bit painful. But ultimately they come out there like, wow. I mean, most of the time. They come out there like, that's feeling really good. Yeah, exactly. So we're relieving the specific restriction with the soft tissue work modality. And then more often than not, they've got to do stuff to retrain it uh, away from the table. Could you simplify what uh, a comparison between like a massage and what you do? Could say um, say like a really like a like a, a Thai massage place, right? They're all through Sydney. People, you know, you hear people say yeah. they're like, "Oh, I'm a bit sore, back, whatever," but it's okay. I'm going to go get a massage. Yeah. What's the difference between say that kind of thing and what you do? Yeah, I think a Thai massage, you're just going to get really broad strokes. If you say you've got a sore back, they're going to chuck everything at that area, probably without even assessing it. But I don't know. It's, Will be varying degrees of how good they are. Uh, whereas what I do, we'll assess, we'll treat the specific areas, we'll see what's happening around it and do some corrective exercise. So that'd be where it varies. Uh, I'd say time massage is a bit more vague. They're probably a bit prettier than me. <laughs> I, I doubt that. No. <laughs> Take that back. Yeah. I, I used to, there was one I used to go to in, um, I went a few times. My cousin used to get, get one regularly at a place in Roselle and there was a woman there named Mal and she's like, you got to go see Mal. And um, I mean, I wasn't, you know, I didn't regularly get massages, but the next time I got a, a, an injury, I was like, I'll go, I'll go check out this, this Mal woman. Anyway, she was this little old woman. She was about 75 years old and she was like, hello, I'm Mal. And I was like, <laughs> hey man, she's like, please come. You know, like really real, like bubbly, real energetic. And uh, turns out that Mal uh, in back in Thailand did autopsies for a living and so she had this intricate understanding of, of the, the body in all the different layers and um, she would just fucking destroy you and it was it was it was undoubtedly the most uncomfortable massages I mean I, I probably saw a few times that I'd ever had and she she seemed to be quite sadistic like she took great pleasure in it she would she you would have to she would is that a thing yeah, I think so. You got, you got a bit uh, of that? Yeah, like 
you either empathize. I don't know if you enjoy it, but you feel it. You're riding it with them. Like if you yeah. get a spot and you get a fair bit of feedback, you're like, this is going to hurt them. And then same as if you put a needle in, you're like, oh, I felt that. <laughs> so I, I often make noises when I'm treating like, oh, ah. and they're like, oh, did it hurt you? I was like, nah, nah, just living vicariously through you. <laughs> <laughs> Is that, would you say that that is a, is a somewhat kind of necessary part of the process? Like a little bit, not necessarily pain, but that, that extreme discomfort? Uh, no, it's not a necessary part uh, for everywhere. It's just some areas are more painful to treat than others. So if you've got to get your calves uh, treated quite hard, there's a lot of uh, innovation down there. Like there's a lot of nerve endings and it's going to hurt, especially if the area is quite tight. Um, people aren't often stretching them or rolling them or doing whatever they can to keep that tissue nice, even loading that area properly. And so when you get there, it's really fibrotic. There's a lot of innovation there and you've got to go particularly hard. So, so that's, cu- that's a favourite for people of what they don't like. Okay, yeah, and I can I, I – can I know that when if you've worked on my calves, it's it's. I mean, they're so fucking big, it's um it's brutal, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but it is. I find anywhere on the legs, the quads are brutal. Yeah, VMO hurts. Yeah, it just I don't know. It's very sensitive. It's like you know when you squeeze someone's yeah when you yeah. squeeze someone's thigh like you usually down around the knee. What is that? Horse bite. Horse bite. That's what that's called when you. That, I think so. Yeah, right. I've been doing it to my six month, six month old son, and even he responds to it. Sometimes <laughs> depends how out of it he is, but he'll be yeah, he'll like kick his leg into extension and stuff. But um, the the legs generally seem to be quite I don't know sensitive or ticklish. Yeah, it probably diminishes as you go up, but it's definitely areas that are more more painful. So okay, so j- just clarify for me because I think we're going to come across a couple of terms. Innovation. You're talking about nerves in the area. Yeah. Yeah, just has a lot going on there. A lot of uh, sensory, things that can take sensory input and send signals. So it's going to be really receptive to anything you do there. So if you rub a feather there or if you put your elbow there, it's going to know about it. Right. Yeah. Why does an area of the body say some areas have more um, more nerve activity or more innovation as compared to another? Uh, well, you think of your hands. You're going to use them a lot. You need a lot of feedback um, when you touch something and it sends a lot of messages to the brain and that's how you communicate with the outside world. So that'd be why there's a lot there. Um, the face, because it has so many nerves, like for you to function. So, and then the feet and the lower leg, like it's the same reason as the hands. Yeah, okay. But then generally the trunk, like the torso, be the less arms, so. less. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. Um. All right, and so uh, what? Oh, the other thing you mentioned before too, which I'm sure we're going to hear this again. Fibrotic. Mm. What do you? What do you? You're talking about like a texture there, or like something that's actually happening to the tissues. Fibrotic, in the way that I'm using it, kind of means tough tissue. Um, so really leathery, and doesn't contract very well. It doesn't have that elasticity in it, so you get fibrotic tissue in a clinical sense would be uh, if you had a really big tear and that got healed over, 
and like the fibroblast healed, that that would be specifically fibrotic tissue where right. it's healed and you can, like if you've torn something really bad and you touch it, you're like that tissue is not the same as the tissue above and below it. Yeah, like a scar tissue. Like scar tissue, exactly. Right. Yeah, so that's fibrotic tissue specifically and then it's probably on a spectrum. So if you're really tight, it's more fibrotic. We use that as as a term to just measure it. Yeah, it makes sense. Is that something that, um, like, is there a quality that you're looking for in tissues generally where you're looking for, like, suppleness and elasticity? Or is it is it the case that different parts of the body, we want different things? It will be, it will vary. But I think you just, when I palpate someone, I'm just referring that to a data bank that I've stored up before. So if I've felt a thousand people's traps before, I know when I palpate this person where they're tired or what's happening underneath just based on past experience. So I guess it's it's not super tangible. It's more of a skill that you develop as you do more and more of it, I guess. Yeah, I hear. What's palpate mean? Touch. Mm. Squeeze. Put your hands on me. <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. So tell me what I wanted to, what I want to chat to you about today was um, kind of giving us a bit of an overview of like the main issues that you come across. Obviously, you treat a lot of people and have done for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, you're a very in-demand kind of guy. And the, the, um, the issues that you're dealing with, uh, obviously, there are always exceptions. But from a general perspective, there's a lot of recurring things. Yeah. And I mean, we see this in the gym as coaches and, and you know, personal trainers where it's like you, you, you have like, yep, uh, yep, chronic lower back issue. Yep, I've seen a bunch of lower back issues. I've seen a bunch of bad shoulders. And, you know, I think for us, we can always give some kind of very general advice. Uh, are your lower backs a bit sore? Uh, let, maybe let's do a little bit of release around the glute and the piriformis and maybe unlock the hip flexors, you know, whatever. But we never really know... Uh, we can never go specific with it because it's totally out of our scope. Yeah. Um, so for someone like you, obviously you are able to go those layers deeper. Um, I wanted to talk to you about those kind of general issues. Um, yeah. And I know you can't treat them over the, the podcast. Oh, we can try. Give them a go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what, are we, what are we looking at here? What are the, the big ones that you find yourself addressing day in and day out? I would say it would be lower backs and it would be – shoulders slash neck, I tend to put those two in together. So um, not all shoulder issues will include the neck, but usually the opposite's true. So uh, most neck things, you need to have a look at the shoulders. Yep. Um, I feel like I, I've, I've felt that from jiu-jitsu a lot um, where I feel like I have neck pain and then I come and see someone like you and you work on like my rotator cuff. And then that tends to kind of address it. So what I'm feeling, it feels like a neck thing, but actually once you get into the shoulder, that's where the issue is. Yeah, that can be a big thing for sure. What's going on there? Uh, A big one, just say you're not loading very well and you've got some poor compensations through your shoulders and say you're not protracting very well, which is something you guys talk about a lot in your bodyweight classes and your bulletproof for BJJ stuff. 
getting proper movement through the scapula. If you're not doing that well, the easiest compensation is to elevate and internally rotate. So lift your shoulders up and roll them forward as opposed to truly get them out in front. Yep. And what that will do is really jack up your levator scap. So uh, muscle that goes from your scapula up to your C-spine and then your traps, they're going to be on high alert and they're going to be doing more than they should. And what that's going to translate to is when you exert yourself really hard at jiu-jitsu and you have a hard roll, you draw into that inefficient pattern. So using those traps when you probably shouldn't and you end up cranking your neck because you use that area too high or too hard to do something that it probably shouldn't. It's been overloaded throughout the day and then the jujitsu is the straw that breaks the camel's back. I think that's quite a common one. Yeah. And you see a lot with uh, a lot of the BJJ guys. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, yeah, in BJJ there's, there's very little awareness as to body mechanics. It's more just like... Yeah, you just it's do it. Just vector based, like oh, pull on this or push here, which it has to be at that point fully. But that gets trained earlier. Like if you've got good mechanics that you've trained before that, and then you do BJJ, hopefully you refer to those when you're doing something where you're exerting a hundred percent, like playing sport or doing jujitsu. Yeah, so you can't be conscious of it when you're doing it. It'll never work. No, that's true. So you're building that foundation in the gym. Yeah, you hope that those pathways are ingrained when you go to do something difficult. Do you see that same thing, like say with the with talking about the scapula, like shoulder blades, we're always talking to people in the gym about pulling them back, pulling them down, uh, because typically you see when people start doing any kind of pulling exercise, the shoulder blades go up. Um, why is that something that we see, uh, you know, outside of jiu-jitsu, just with regular folk? Yeah, I think, it can go both ways. Um, I'll draw back to an example where you can go too far the other way, which is too far back and down, which is a common one for bodybuilders and powerlifters. But in reference to why do normal people's shoulders elevate and come forward, it's usually a lot of desk time. Or I, I do some work twice a week at uh, a fertility clinic where I treat all the scientists in there and wow yep so we go for an hour and a half twice a week and man every single one of them has tight shoulders I just see it when they walk into me if I if I'm in there and haven't seen that person before I was like you want shoulders and you just see it there's so much tension there you palpate and it's because they don't have a very ergonomic workspace they're leaning over the bench they're hunched up I imagine it's stressful work as well, but particularly so in that place. Like, Wow. Yeah, it's just everyone. I don't think there's anyone in there that's not just wretchedly tight through their traps and neck. And would that be, is that, you know, you can, I've read like, you know, in a lot of the stuff that talks about adaptations of humans um, that come along with this modern lifestyle that we now have and this, this, um, this idea that everything we do is right in front of us. So our computer's right in front of us, our phone, our food. Mm. You know, there's no longer like, um, there's, no, there's no depth to the things that we're engaging with, right? Desks, the car, it's all here in front. Mm. And the fact that we are more sedentary, so we're not moving as much, means that we stay just fixed on these things that are in front of us for long periods of time. Um, 
can you can you build a, a, an environment like say could those scientists or researchers um, make their workspace more ergonomic so that they could stand there all day and do that kind of work or is that adaptation is what you're describing just unfortunately something that's going to happen when you're fixed in that one position working on something that's in front of you all day it's a good question i'm sure they could come up with a solution they're <laughs> bloody scientists um well why haven't they i don't know nerds <laughs> yeah <laughs> um could they? I think I heard a really good saying once. I don't know who said it, but basically your best posture is your next one, which just means move. Like if you get fixated in the one position, you start to become that position, right? Yeah. So uh, sitting versus standing, standing all day, you're going to end up really tight. Like I'm on my feet all day and I'm much stiffer at the end of the day than at the start. But it's, I think it's better than sitting. But I think it's got to be a mix and you need to be getting in different positions or you just end up quite rigid in either one. So uh, what, what they could do to fix it, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I don't think it's hard to deal with when you're working with specific lab equipment and then making it ergonomic for everyone as well because they're all different sizes. They're working on different bits all day. I don't know. Of course. I'm just thinking relevant to the like almost everyone that would be listening to this, they would be working in a similar capacity at a computer, head in the books, studying, you know? Yeah. Like really for the most part, you're handling different tools and different apparatus, but same kind of shit. I mean, I, I, I you know, doing running a business, whatever, I'm sitting on a computer for the most part of the day. Yeah, I think. Uh, or on Instagram. On the gram. It's a very know. important business. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think it's just important to keep moving and it's what you guys stress here and I think you try to get back to that bare bones of things a lot, which is let's get moving, let's get through some ranges, let's start to load things that aren't getting loaded all day and then you can worry about the tricks and the fancy stuff. So. Okay, so so shoulders are a thing. Um, tell me more about that kind of the, you know, we'll go to the lower back shortly, but um, shoulders forward, rolled in, neck forward. This is a common thing that you're dealing with? Yeah. What's the, wh- how does that look for you addressing that? It depends on what the person presents with, like how winged their scaps might be, which means how far across their shoulder blades they are and how, how much the bottom of the scap sticks out. If you can visualize that, I guess. Uh, yep. Yep. And then it depends on how well they can access protraction, how well they can get their arms above the head, which is usually quite limited when, when they are quite hunched. So a lot of it's about addressing those things, trying to encourage that movement, trying to get them to load out in front properly, Teach them to get their arms above your head with a good rhythm. Yep. Um, basically what happens when the scap's not moving well, you put all the pressure on the shoulder joint or the glenohumeral joint. So, um, yeah, basically the upper arm. And that joint gets quite abused and you, you start to really irritate the front of the shoulder by doing that. Yeah, the head of the humerus starts to mash on all that tissue at the front. It starts to get quite irritated and then you've got a new problem. So 
I think the personally, I found that the scap and the thoracic are the really big drivers. Once you get those moving, you can worry about the smaller things. Yeah, it makes sense. You can almost see it with a lot of folks um, when they're walking around that, that that upper back area, like the thoracic spine and the shoulders, they just they're fixed, mm. aren't they? Like they're just no, it's completely rigid, and yeah. it's like locked in a shape. Yeah, and you think, fuck, that's that. Like surely that has to be having some kind of downstream effect. Uh, yeah, it has to. It has to. Like when you start to get rigid there, um, it's going to affect how you load your shoulders, but also how you load the rest of the spine. Like you'll stop articulating in other areas. And generally your mobility should would decrease like if you're really rigid in one area. Would you have like, say, um, a few sort of key exercises and obviously very general recommendations that you would find yourself going back to for people with such issues? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I really like stuff that's going to get people moving. So uh, wall slides can teach people to get their arms overhead. Uh, that's where you got your back on the wall. No, no. Ah. So forearms against the wall, you are working really hard to protract and flex through the spine. Yep. And while maintaining that protraction, you slide your arms at a slight diagonal. Ah, yes, okay. Trying to like extend the arm overhead. Yeah, while yep. keeping the scap out. Exactly. Yep. So it's teaching the mechanic not to just use that glenohumeral joint to get your arms over your head. You have to use the serratus anterior on the front and you have to use you know, your scapula in doing it. Yep. Yeah, so it's just force it. Like, it's a really inefficient way to lift, but it's something that will train it when you go to lift your arms up overhead, that will fire. Yep. And then I like Xiaopangs, which is just, it's a standing rotation of your arm uh, with a few little nuanced things to do, but it's basically that, just getting your arms through rotation, searching for range. Um, and you do that with a often loaded? You can do it with a lightweight, right. yeah, like a 1.25 kilo plate or a two and a half, depending. Yep. Um, and that's like a like a straight arm, just a bit drawing a big circle with the arm. Essentially, uh, yeah. yeah, and then searching for range. So if your arm's out in front, you're really protracting hard. Yep. If your arm's overhead, you're really elevating hard. If it's behind, you're doing quite a bit of extension. Yep. And, yeah, doing arcs of that. Um, stuff that gets the thoracic and shoulders moving, I really like a cat cow. And get a lot of people doing those, especially ones stuck at their desk all day. And then spinal waves, I think, are a good one too. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. And spinal waves. Yeah. Yeah. Anything that can get that spine articulating more and getting people's thoracics moving and lower backs moving. Yeah. Yeah, those those four drills you've mentioned are all like, I mean, you could put them in any program for any person and they would be of benefit, wouldn't they? I think you'd get a return for sure. Yeah, yeah. like a, as warm-up drills or activation drills or five-minute movement break between your five hours on the computer, whatever, like it's, it's good stuff forever. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, take me to the lower back piece. Mm. And this is, a, you know, the lower back, the lower back is one of those ones I think of people who I train who have kind of recurring lower back issues and obviously with the training we're doing, you're always trying to reduce the occurrence of the, the lower back flaring up. Um, but it, it is a thing that happens and 
Um, I've had it myself in the past. You treated me for it. It was after my after my knee surgery. Um, but it's one of those ones that's really disappointing for folks because you kind of it kind of it's kind of like the end of the session. You're like, yeah, oh, lower you're back. Yeah. You're like, oh, I'm good. I'm just gonna go home and have a glass of wine. <laughs> you know, it's like, ah, oh, fuck. Whereas like shoulder or something. Okay, cool. Let's let's just ease it on the upper body stuff. We'll just focus on the rest of the body. You know. Yeah, you quickly realize how vulnerable you are just by something small going wrong when, you, when you've tweaked your back. Yeah. <laughs> you're just like, I can't do anything. See you later. Um, yeah, I mean, let's say non-specific lower back pain, so something that's not diagnosed and you pass all the tests for, you know, a disc bulge or an annular tear or something bad. Um, just say that's all fine then usually there's a few drivers. So one could be you. yours came from massive compensations, right? You had the knee surgery. It was really tied in and around there. It was wrecking your gait mechanics and you were jacking up through that side of your back. And so I was unwinding that. And it was only going to get better as that leg got better. Otherwise, it would just keep jacking up through that QL. Yep. Then you've got people who are specifically weak through the hips and basically get too much movement through their lower back and their pelvis and they can't stabilize. And then there's people with really inefficient. When you, sorry to cut you off. When you say, um, when you say weak through the hips or something, I've always wanted to clarify in my head. Are you talking about the muscles around like the hip joint, like, you know, like hip flexors, glutes, hamstrings, that kind of thing. Or are you talking more about, are you referring to the, like the lower back pelvic kind of junction? Uh, I'm talking about glutes and hamstrings generally. Yeah, when okay. I say hips. Yeah. So, yeah, just for simplicity's sake, think of it as glutes and hamstrings. So stuff that you load when in hip extension. Yep. Are what I'm referring to when I say hips. Yep. Makes sense. So uh, generally those areas are really weak for people and – um, people have a hard time loading that area. So, Could it be the case for someone that's, say, doing regular strength training, mm. you know, deadlifting once or twice a week, doing some different types of squatting, whatever, that they could still be, you know, and, and say they're doing it at a whatever, a moderate intensity, you're like, yeah, that person seems somewhat strong. Could they still have weakness through the hips, as you're describing, or is it really for people who are untrained in those areas? They definitely can. Maybe weak's not the right term for those people because they're, they're probably strong enough, but it's inefficient. Their movement patterns might be really bad. They could just be um, loading their back heaps and not loading their hamstrings and glutes at all on a heavy deadlift, and that's only going to stifle you at a certain weight. So, yeah, you know, you're just going to hit a wall at some point where you just won't get any stronger. Yeah. So it can definitely happen. You don't have to be someone who's just not training. Some people just can't load properly through their hips. They just end up using too much lower back. So, yeah, if you, you're in too much extension. You pointed that, that out to me, actually, when I, you know, when I, what you were talking about there, when my, I was compensating after the knee surgery, um, I, it was when I got back into squatting. I was getting back onto the, under the barbell and doing some back squatting and stuff. And it, and it was squatting and then it was also like any hip hinging exercises like good mornings or deadlifts. Yeah. I would flare the back up. Yes. And, and 
what you identified was that my my pattern is actually not like I'm I'm not hinging very well or squatting very well. You're like, no, there's that's an inefficient pattern. Which is really funny because for a lot of people who look at my squat or deadlift, they'd be like, oh, wow, it looks perfect. Well, the adoring fans, yeah. Right? That's right. I, I basically block anyone that doesn't <laughs> give me the kudos I deserve. Yeah. Um, We've lost a lot of members for that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. we'll lose a few more. Yeah, but they, yeah. Um, that's why my Instagram following is so slim because I've culled the masses. <laughs> yeah. But, <laughs> but, it, but it, it's, you know, interesting to me too where I'm like, huh, I thought my squat and deadlift was pretty good. But you're like, no, nah, actually, you're like dumping into your lower back and you're, you know, you're not bracing properly through the front and that's putting a lot of pressure onto the muscle of the lower back. And I'm like, holy shit, how about that? Yeah, yeah. I think a way to simplify that um, in what you're doing there, so you're maybe pulling into too much extension through the lower back, so making the lower back muscles go under quite a hard contraction. And what that does is going to move the pelvis... Uh, up and it's going to place the hamstrings under a bit of a stretch. So it's a lot harder to load them when your back's really arched. They're going to be really inefficient in that position, but you're also quite weak in that position when you're overextended. Right. And when you're saying overextended, like it's like I'm, as I'm going to the squat, it's like I'm really sticking my butt out. Yeah. My, my lower back is very arched. Yeah. I'm doing like a kind of like a, a Instagram influencer might do it. Ooh, yeah. Big booty shot, that kind of position. Yeah, yeah, I would say so. Something like that. So what you're referring to is, is keeping more of a neutral position through the pelvis, where instead of going to that big extension, the pelvis is tucked a little bit. The f- the front of the body has tension, the abs. Yes. And then it's holding my pelvis more parallel to my rib cage. Yeah, exactly. Th- throughout the whole movement. Yeah, exactly. So can you maintain that rigidity and that same pelvis position throughout the whole movement? And generally speaking, people that can do that without uh, – overextending or the opposite or pulling into flexion tend to be really strong. Right. If you can maintain um, that neutrality. I like it. Yeah, let's work with that. Mm. Um, Through the pelvis, through the back, then all you have to worry about is how your legs are moving, you know, if you're strong enough to move the way through your legs. Like um, it's a big piece of the puzzle with strength training is just being able to maintain that rigidity through there. Yeah, that's a really interesting one because, you know, it's just, it's interesting that you can get by for, you know, however long on half-decent mechanics. And then at a point, it rears its head. Oh, yeah. And it tells you, hey, you've actually been doing this wrong for a long time. Yeah. You know, or maybe not. Maybe it's more of an acute thing. You've been doing it wrong since the surgery or whatever. But it is very interesting because the, I mean, I see it all the time. Um people get injured and they're like, well, what did I just do that got me injured? And <laughs> really what I think what like is kind of underlying to this conversation is like, no, it's maybe what you've been doing for the last 10 years and it's just the injuries just come about now. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's what a lot of people need to get their head around when they get hurt. It's like they've been doing stuff wrong for a long time. They might have been fortunate. Or 20. Or 20. Or 30. Do you, 30. Do you think Have that a there's a... I, I find myself having the conversation quite often with people, um, I guess, m- around my age, like mid to late 30s, um, about the fact that they get injured in training now and like, fuck, this never used to happen. And there's this, we, you know, we have this thing, like, this belief, like it's because I'm getting older. Like I'm just, oh man, I'm approaching 40 now. Like I just get injured more. And I've 
often thought about that and kind of debated that point because I think, well, no, it's not necessarily because you're getting older, but it's potentially more so because you were just doing the wrong thing for the last 10 years and now it's having now it's it's showing itself yeah which is irrelevant to you aging it's just it's this past that you you were you were able to get away with some poor mechanics for the last 10 or 15 years yeah it's probably a mix of both but for sure i think um uh i'm right yeah i think you're right Sorry, I lost my train of thought. No, it's okay. So, okay, so the lower back thing, I kind of cut you off, but yeah, you, you're sort of alluding to what the what the main things that are happening there are. In terms of, you know, and, and obviously we've ruled out like specific conditions of the lower back or, you know, um, not more severe injuries. Yeah. But for that general thing, for that person, it's like, yeah, fuck, I, you know, I'm pretty good, but then every time I do kettlebell swings, my fucking lower back, you know. And yeah. maybe, maybe they can still grit it through the rest of the workout, but it's like, ah, flares up for a couple of days, whatever. What are you, what's the general advice around that? What exercises do you find yourself giving to those folks? Yeah, that's a good question. I'd say something dynamic like a kettlebell swing needs to get cut out until you can learn to load properly with a bit, lower, a bit slower of an eccentric, um, something where you are using your hamstrings and glutes a bit more, so maybe like a single leg deadlift with a longer eccentric and, and a pause at the bottom. Just just working on getting a proper contraction through your hamstrings and not overloading your lower back. You have a lot more control when you do something like that. Yep. And then, yeah, during that time I'd be cutting Olympic lifts, kettlebell swings, stuff like that. Running? Uh, Would you find that running might flare up for someone like that? Yes, but like it's a different thing altogether. Right, yeah, running's probably a lot more. Oh, running is a lot more complex. Yep. Um, and there's probably a few more considerations, but yeah, I, I would say so. Okay, so you kind of you're taking the speed out of it, slowing the movement down, eccentric, talking like the lowering phase of the movement, so making like longer duration for that. Pause at the bottom, so you're really forcing them to build some awareness, rebuild that position yeah. before they then go introduce the speed again through a kettlebell swing or yeah, box exactly. jumps or whatever. Yeah, a lot more has got to go right um, when you're doing something at speed or really dynamic Yep, and the body needs to draw on its ingrained patterns then. Whereas when you do it slow, you can keep making adjustments. You can keep going, no, that's wrong, try this change this position a little bit and there's no repercussions but you can't really do that in the middle of a jump what do you do for someone and i'm not even having a dig right now <laughs> all right <laughs> say they do crossfit or say they do uh like um some kind of interval class maybe yeah. it goes for 45 minutes maybe it's functional training i don't know um but say it's like yeah but my training is like fast like like, okay, I get it, but then it's like I've got to do this thing fast. And, and, and obviously, you can always, you know, step out from that. But for someone who's like, well, I'm in this thing, that's my style of training. And I'm really thinking about someone who's listening who just, who's like, all right, well, I can't do the kettlebell swing. Like, how do you, how do you what's your practical advice that you would give to someone? You know, say they're doing class, uh, strength and movement class here at JB. And they're like, yeah, yeah but I love that. I love the, the fast stuff. Yeah, that, that's where it's hard. Like, sometimes they need to pull back a little bit, but... If they won't, then a lot of the time it's about doing a correct warm-up and doing things that 
we'll start to ingrain those better patterns at least. So the stuff that we spoke about, the longer eccentrics before class, doing some core exercises, um, basically working on things that's going to at least help that patterning for yep. when they do it in the class. Um, but the thing is what happens when someone's under stress or they do something difficult, what are they going to do? They're going to revert back to their strongest pattern um, or the thing that they're most efficient at, which is in this case, it's a bad pattern, right? So if they're breathing and heaving and they've got to get out one more rep on the really heavy deadlift and then sprint to, to go do some kip chin-ups, then they're going to keep exacerbating that bad pattern. No way they're going to do the new good pattern that we've been working on. You can't. Yeah, you, you can't, can't keep both. No. Nah. No, nah, it's no chance. So, um, yeah, I, I think it's some negotiation there. Yeah, right. And trying to give them an alternative or a way to structure the workout where they can get what they want and then I can get what I want or what they need. Yeah, okay, so maybe they sit that part of the class out, they go do their rehab stuff, or maybe they, whatever, don't do that class, do another class yeah. for a little while. Yeah, it's hard, it's hard. Um, trainings, especially for people doing CrossFit, uh, training's such a big part of their life. Um, so, yeah, you need to find a way to keep them training. Yeah. Or let them know there's light at the end of the tunnel or they'll be back doing that stuff soon. But if they do this, um, should guarantee that they, they aren't as injured as much. Yeah, okay. Um, what do you – give me a couple favourite exercises for just addressing the lower back piece. Yeah, so what we're talking about before, like single leg deadlift um, with a foot on the wall uh, with a big emphasis of – Foot on the wall, I uh, like – yeah. Tell me about that. Oh, you've had me do it. It's tough. It's a lot harder than when you have the foot supported on a bench. It's just going to make you work a bit harder through that front leg. There's nothing more to it than that. Like you just have to stabilize a little bit harder. Yeah. You don't. You can't rest back on the the hind leg. Yeah. And so that would be like you got you back up to the wall, butt facing the wall. You're standing out from it you know, half a meter or so. Yeah. And then you're you're getting into your you're hinging forward, and the leg that's obviously standing on one leg, the other leg you just you're bending the knee and then you're placing the foot onto the wall. Yeah, exactly. Just and giving you, you some feedback. Yeah. So a little bit of support yeah. is what you'll get from that. And then, yeah, bending forward into a hip hinge. Uh, for for this issue, just say we find that the lower back's overloading and they're not loading very well through the hamstrings at all. We're going to keep quite a uh, vertical femur position as we tip forward and... Yeah, hinge over our leg, keeping our weight over the midfoot. Yep. Um, basically not pushing our hips back like a traditional deadlift. Uh, okay. This is just going to place a hamstring. It's like a disadvantageous position to lift from. Yep. But it's going to place more stress on the hamstring. So it's just going to get them to load in that pattern right. a, bit, a bit better. Like if you were doing a heavy deadlift, be a disaster to lift from there. Yep. Yeah. Don't do your 1RM with one foot on the wall. <laughs> nah. And a no, vertical no. femur. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But if someone was going to have a crack at it, say the Savo. Yeah, I mean, we can after this. <laughs> You're going to do it, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, 10 reps, 15 reps, something like that? Uh, people won't be able to do that initially. Like okay. if they're doing it correctly, you're probably looking at three to eight reps. It's really difficult. It's tough. Yeah. 
Yeah, and would so you use? You, you only have a slight bend in the knee, bending well over the, the front foot. Yeah. Um, yeah. And would you use something like that as a you, that would that sounds like it'd be a really good warm up drill? Like I mean, for it someone is, who's yeah. wrecked, it would be like that's potentially a workout. But yeah, for if someone, they have acute back pain, I wouldn't be doing it. But, yeah. Um, otherwise, for sure, it's a good warm up. I like that. What else you got for the lower back? Um, like teaching someone to brace properly. So being able to even holding a plank or a bird dog is quite good. Yep. So being able to move the extremities, so the arms and the legs while maintaining a neutral position through the torso. Right. Yeah. And being able to stabilize, then that transfers really well to exercise. Yeah. So you just keep making it more and more difficult. So um, stabilizing on that's quite good. And and then strengthening the hips if it's down to a hip strengthening issue. It, it really depends on what the issue is, I guess. Yeah, okay. Tell me, for um, you ran a, a breathing and bracing workshop yeah. recently with your partner, Joe Taylor. Yep. Um, what are the – in terms of bracing, can you kind of summarize what we're looking for there, like the sequence of events yep. in order for a successful brace? Yeah, I mean, it's that neutral spine that we're talking about. And there's varying degrees. Like some people are going to be in slightly more extension, some in slightly more flexion, but that good, strong position. Um, intra-abdominal pressure, so being able to get a lot of air in and be able to, um, yeah, basically support your spine right, um, in that position and then being able to move while maintaining that. I, I think that's the key. So you're talking about taking a big breath in, trying to really inflate the, the, the lower portion, like get the diaphragm open. Yeah, like take a 360-degree breath. So trying to get air, you know, to the sides, trying to get air to the front, and then trying to keep your rib cage down. And that's going to increase the intra-abdominal pressure for when you do take the lift. Yep. Um, yeah, I'd say that's, that's the key point. And is the idea there is that you, you're filling the cavity with air and then you're bracing on top of that, yeah. which creates more pressure and then and then obviously you're trying to maintain that? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Like if you took a full breath and expanded and opened up your ribs, like that's going to be a really inefficient position to lift from. So you want to bring it down, create that compression and then go. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. I um I, I know for myself that that's something I've always I've never felt particularly confident with with heavy lifting. Mm. It's how to brace well. Yeah. Um and I, I yeah, like I see I've seen, you know, your stuff from when you were particularly into your powerlifting and even Joe when she's working on heavier lifts. Yeah. And the bracing is such a it's obviously such an important part of the whole lift. Yeah, for sure. For sure. That's just uh, what I alluded to before, like if you can maintain your torso position throughout a lift, generally you're going to do really well. So the key is creating parameters where you can do that. So just creating a lot of rigidity under a lot of load, which takes a lot of practice. Yeah. Yeah. It's a skill in itself. Um, yeah. Um. What else do you see? Yeah, any other kind of big areas that, you know, we covered like hips, shoulders or lower back shoulders. Is there anything else that you see is quite common? But, you know, people doing say like movement style training, combination of weightlifting, body weight stuff. Yeah, you get a lot of uh, 
elbow issues and grip issues from people doing a lot of the body weight stuff. So that'd be a big one. Is that is that from, you know, chin-ups and kind yeah. of high-intensity body weight pulling? Generally, yeah. It's just doing so much bent arm strength and straight arm strength. Right. We'll do that. Um, all that load accumulates in that area. So if just say you're not moving that efficiently and not rotating that well or your shoulder's a bit banged up, so you're loading your elbow a bit more and you're doing a ton of reps, like it's it's going to get inflamed. It's just too much load for that area to cope with generally. So, um, yeah, the way to resolve that is going to be to get that correct movement pattern sorted. So if the, just say the shoulder is really tight and it's making you load the elbow more, then it's not going to be right till you fix the shoulder. Right. Yeah. What do you find? I mean, I, I think I sent a guy your way recently who, who's dealing with, a, with an elbow thing. What do you find is the um, – I know for people like who are, who are quite into their training and they're getting – say that, you know, it might for, – for females it can often be like they're really closing in on that chin-up or like, yeah. you know, it's like super close. Or for guys it's, it's maybe, you know, closing in on like weighted pull-ups or a muscle-up or something like that and then the elbow flares up. What is the, the, like the very general prescription around that? Is it like back off from, the, from that pulling stuff? Yeah, almost always. Um, I mean, just the reason for that, just say it's like uh, medial elbow injury. So just say the tendon's getting inflamed on the inside of your arm and you're going and you're doing a chin-up specific program. Like if someone came to me like that, what's the common denominator? It's always going to be from like that really excessive heavy pulling that they're doing. Yeah. That's contributing. Um, the way that we're going to deal with that, like you've got to really peel it back. You've got to really control the parameters that you put load into tendon injuries. So you'd just be doing really light um, flex flex movements through the wrist at first and then you'd start doing heavy eccentrics, trying to stretch, get it through um, its full range of motion in pronation and supination, starting to get those things to help and then make sure that the shoulder's moving okay. Um, you couldn't really. It would just get so inflamed straight away if you did a heavy chin-up. Yeah, right. And the idea is there that if you if you continue to irritate those tissues, then it just will never improve. Yeah, or, or it'll get worse. Yeah. Uh, what, what are we talking about there? Is that actually – that's an irritation of the tendons? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's just um, that medial epicondyle, so that bone on the inside of your arm is – a uh, place where the tendon attaches for the flexors, um, flex carpal ulnaris there, and then the pronator through here, yep. which are all going to do a fair bit when you're doing supinated chin-ups. And basically, if you're just hammering those muscles, you can easily inflame the tendon. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah, I've experienced a bit of that myself in the past. Super common, super common. I think a lot of jiu-jitsu guys get it as well. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like with jiu-jitsu, it, it, you, that stuff flares up because of all of the excessive pulling. Yeah, gr- gripping each other's gaze, hey? Yeah, like constantly. Um, yeah, it's funny, I think, you know, for talking to, like, to talk on that, like the, the mechanical imbalances that develop in certain sports or certain, like, ways of, you know, time spent in life, people don't really think about it. Like, you, t- you talk to a, a standard jiu-jitsu person who's just really into jiu-jitsu and, 
has never really cared for, you know, strength training or consideration of their body mechanics, whatever. They just found this sport they really like. But you tell them like, man, there's an, there's an absurd amount of pulling that you're doing. There's an absurd amount of gripping. Um, there's an absurd amount of like hip and spine flexion. And you are spending like 90 minutes or so in those positions under load, like, you know, most days in the week, uh, you're going to pay a price for that. Like there's, there are ramifications yeah. for that. And people are like, well, like we don't think about it. It's like talking about sitting at a desk or, you know, whatever all day long. And it's like, we, we kind of know like, oh yeah, it's not good for us. But I, I think a lot of people kind of stay a bit oblivious to the fact that if you put your body in those positions all the time, your body will morph into that shape. Yeah, it takes and time. It, and it will create you know, problems, whatever, imbalances that you're going to have to, well, you don't have to, but you probably should address. Yeah, exactly. It's not going to be a problem immediately. It might not be a problem all through your white belt or through your blue belt, but then eventually you see a lot of practitioners and I think you and um, JT talk about examples of a lot of older jiu-jitsu people that are really broken, right? Fuck yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I mean... And refuse to address it. And it can be too far gone, like, because it's going to get worse before it gets better when you're that far gone, like, to try to unpeel everything. So um, I think it's a lot like if somebody's smoking, like, they don't care at the time, but the ramifications come come later, right? Yeah. It can be almost too late, like, to be, especially for them, like, they might not get to a point where they're pain-free. Yeah, it's a really good point. Yeah, I think for a lot of people, they don't want to hear it. I find nah. that, say with jujitsu folks, it's normally white belts who are more receptive to this information because they're like, oh, okay, yeah, like I'm I'm more of an open book. I don't really have much ego about this thing because I'm new to it. So I'm open, you know, give me the information. Whereas you get someone that's been doing it for 10 years and they're a purple belt and they're a savage. They might be broken and, you know, in pain when they're off the mats, but on the mats, they're a, they're a shark. Yeah. So it's like, I don't want to hear it. Yeah, yeah. It's like humbling and they probably realize that it's going to take a lot of work away from it. And there's no guarantees as well. So, And it will detract from their jujitsu for a period. Whereas if they've just found a way to train through it inefficiently, then whatever, they'll be in pain. When you say no guarantees, you mean like for some people that it is just too hard to kind of fix some of these things? Uh, well, yeah, depending on what avenue they end up going down. I think a lot of people have chronic injuries that they haven't been able to fix regardless of how hard they've tried. Yeah. And they could fall into that basket. Like a lot of luck goes into who ends up treating it if you get the right diagnosis. If it is treatable, like um, if you're exacerbating it, you know, there's a, there's a lot of factors. So that's why I mean like there's no guarantees. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, and, you know, the hard truth is not everyone's fixable, so, yeah. What's um, any sort of closing pieces for you on, on you know, I, I, I'm assuming you have the same conversations very often with people. Yeah. And find yourself making some very kind of recommendations that you're like, fuck, I tell another person this, you know, but you have anything there that's, that's, that, you, that you haven't shared yet? Yeah, I think it's just really important to be doing a lot of the simple foundational remedial stuff. So oftentimes 
I'll get people in with shoulder injuries and I think that the best thing for them is going to be to just start into some body weight classes, start doing some of those, start at the, the roots or the, the beginning of the piece and get really efficient at those and that, that's going to go a long way to restoring your shoulder function. Doing these movements that you don't like, that you feel shit at, that you can't maintain the position well, getting really efficient at those are going to help your shoulders quite a lot. Um, and that's, I mean, that's that's Jungle Brothers specific, isn't it? You're talking that is about Jungle Brothers specific, like that's yeah. our our body weight program. So like very basic gymnastic strength training, like really beginner variations for sure. We're just for building sure. the foundation. Yeah, yeah. I think um, you know. T was the one who came up with the idea for that and just like, no, let's get really good at the basics. If people want to advance at this, then this is what they have to do. Um, sending, I, I suggested it to him. It and, was you know, T and Paulie yeah, and you went in the discussion. Uh, I, I told him about it and then they <laughs> said, yeah, we'll, we'll run with it. Ah, oh, it was a bad idea then. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Stupid idea. Yeah. Um, yeah, so getting back to the basics with that stuff is really important. Same with strengthening your hips. The stuff that we spoke about before is really basic. So making sure you can hip hinge correctly, making sure you can brace your core correctly, making sure you can move your arms and legs while bracing correctly. Yeah. You start to do those things, you should be able to get through classes pain-free if you don't have anything particularly bad going on. Yeah. But... You know, a lot of that stuff's quite tedious. So a lot of it's just getting back to um, having a bit of a routine with it, doing the boring things. Do you think, um, given the nature of what you do, um, do you find yourself in the situation where people are coming to see you regularly for long durations of time? Or do you see your role as something that is generally like, you know, you're going to need to spend an amount of time together, but it's not going to be forever? Yeah, I, it really depends on the person. But, yeah, for sure, some people I'll see once and something relatively new and they'll go away and they have no dramas. That, that tends to happen with newer injuries. And then some people have been dealing with things for a long time and it comes full circle again every four weeks and they need to get treatment again just to have a feeling normal again. And then they get four weeks of training out of that and then they feel, you know, tight in the hip again and want to get needled want to get it sorted out, want to check up on the exercises. And then some people are for really acute short phases. So, you know, this is going to be seeing me six times over the next two months and that should resolve it. Yeah. So it varies. Yeah, yeah cool. But people are managing things. Um, like you'd have your own things as well, your knee and, you know, Paulie's shoulder and, um, everyone's got their little niggles that they have to manage and they know what they have to do to keep it relatively out of um, their conscious. And, um, yeah, if you're not doing that, you're generally coming in for treatment sooner. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, I think, I think you know, ha like dealing with nagging injuries is kind of part of the training process and, the, and, and life in a sense. 100%. And you want to be trying to reduce them as much as possible, but it's always going to be prevalent, particularly if you play a contact sport or something like that. Yeah, if you've trained hard for 10 years, you're always managing something. Yeah. And anyone who says they don't have any is a liar. Like everyone's got their own little niggles or things they have to spend more time on, whether it's from playing football when they were 15 or, you know, 
having just done too much of this training or it's a weakness for them that they've got to get their thoracic moving a lot more before doing their body weight stuff. Like, um, no one's perfect in that sense. Yeah, I like it. Mate, um, thank you. Thanks for coming on today. No worries. You're, it's We're currently in a bit of a lockdown, but you're still treating folks? Yeah, yeah. So therapeutic massage can treat. So, yeah, I'm treating. Cool. Um, where can people find you? Social media and that sort of thing. Uh, yeah, Facebook and Instagram, I guess. So handle's just Jared Thatcher. Um, they're the best places. I'm not overly active on social media, but... Yeah, respond to messages usually within a day or two. So, yeah. It's not a bad turnaround? Well, for Instagram, I deleted off my phone. I just Have you? Yeah, and I re-download it just to check messages and have a quick scroll and then delete it again. Oh, how long have you been doing that for? A little while. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How interesting. Yeah, yeah. I just find it's a bit of a time trap. Yeah. Don't get uh, much return off the time I spend on it. Yep. Smart call. Smart call, eliminating stuff that isn't really essential to what you're doing. Yeah, yeah, I just don't particularly like being on it, so. Yeah, I hear you. Um, you can also get it, Jared, through the Jungle Brothers website, if that's easy for you, junglebrothers.com. Oh, yeah. Sorry, you can book in or, or check out my stuff on my website, so jaredthatcher.com or oh. jaredthatchermassage.com. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Yeah, go there. Go there. Cool, man. Um, thanks for coming on. All good. Guys, thanks for listening. Hope that helped. Um if you, I know that Jared has posted some of those exercises on his uh, Instagram before. Um, there's some really good foundational stuff there. If you think that you might be having something you want a bit of help with, hit him up or come see us just down at the gym because, you know, there's, you got us and him um, and we can help you with that stuff. The, the foundational kind of training that he was talking about, it's something we take really seriously here. So, um, yeah, get some into what you're doing. And if, if, if a lot of what we're talking about didn't make any sense to you, but you know that you do have a couple of mechanical issues that need addressing, you should definitely get down here because your training should be addressing that at least to some extent. For sure. Um, thanks for listening. Uh, junglebrothers.com, if you need any help from us, uh, we will catch you guys next week. Stay safe. Peace.